Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 332 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday, August 2nd, 2021, and we have yet another basketball commitment to discuss. But before we get into all that, you probably hear it from my voice. I'm Donald Wine. I'm your host for this episode. I have been on the road for basically the better part of the last 10 days uh, in Texas and now here in Las Vegas for the U.S. men's national team, which if you guys cross over to the soccer world as I do, won the Gold Cup last night in an epic battle over our tribals, Mexico. So I was out celebrating last night. I was also watching the women's game that started at 1 a.m., which is why my voice sounds like an unfolded lawn chair. But that's cool because I got my two friends with me who held it down in my absence, Jason Evans and Sam Klein. First off, Jason Evans, good morning to you, sir. Yeah, good morning, Donald. You've been, uh, you've been a busy guy the past few days, and there's been busy stuff going on with Duke basketball as well. Absolutely. And here's the thing, uh, and Sam, good morning to you as well. But Sam, um, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I counted the number of days that I've been in my apartment in D.C. the past two months. That number is eight. <laughs> eight days. Uh, but Sam, That's you crazy. were in your apartment. You were in your apartment uh, in Boston. Uh, how are you doing this morning? Uh, well, I was in, in Colorado for a few days, which was, uh, which was nice to be somewhere else. I think I've been through stretches before where, be it work travel or fun travel, like, yeah, I, th- I think I've, I've done months where it's like I'm only home for six or seven nights. But, mm-hmm. uh, but well, we got to do what we got to do, you know? Look, so the re- I, am back, I am back in Boston now. Uh, so uh, back home in my, in my sort of normal home office and, and uh, am vaguely well-rested, although I did get in last night. Look, look, it's one thing if you're out of town on one specific vacation, one specific trip. Like, look, I, I once took like a three week trip to, to China. It, it happens. And then you're mm. not home that often. But Donald, you're like in all kinds of different cities and stuff. Right. I mean, like, it's crazy. The rent check hits different when you're paying it from a city that you don't live in. Um, and I've had to do that twice. Uh, <laughs> it's not at that point. It's not an apartment. It's an expensive storage unit. Exactly. And so I'm, I'm looking for as much as this trip has been fun. I'm looking forward to get back to it. But. We have an important get for the class of 2022. Dariq Whitehead, number six in the ESPN 100, number three small forward overall in the ESPN recruiting rankings, has committed to Duke University. It is John Shire's first commitment of a top 10 recruit, and it was a huge one. I think when everyone came down, when everything came down yesterday, I was actually partying with uh, a friend that Sam may know from Duke uh, who happened to be in Vegas, and she told me the news. And I freaked out and everyone thought something had happened in soccer. I was like, nope, Duke basketball's back. Uh, John Shire, we're going to be okay. Uh, Jason, you are a resident uh, recruiting guru. Why don't you give us a breakdown on Dariq Whitehead and how big this really is for the Blue Devils? I mean, it's huge. Uh, This is definitive proof. The the past four or five days, getting Kyle Filipowski and then Dariq Whitehead is definitive proof that that Duke basketball is – not going to exhibit any kind of speed bump or, uh, you know, problems um, uh, in the transition from John Shire to uh, from Coach K to John Shire, at least in terms of recruiting, obviously <laughs> player development and, and you know, uh, play in game strategy and the such. We don't know about that yet, but, but in terms of recruiting, John Shire is not missing a beat. And let me tell you a little bit about Dariq Whitehead. Um, six, six, 190 uh, wing. Uh, he has the handle and the, the shot to, to play shooting guard, but he has the strength and the athleticism and the 
the sort of put your head down and go to the basket um, and dare people to stop you, you know, ability of a small forward. Um, uh, there, there are even people who say he could go all the way down and play power forward, but I, I, I think Duke probably sees him almost exclusively as a wing. Really lethal pull-up jumper on this guy, and he can shoot all the way out to the three-point line. That's the thing that sort of has surprised people about him lately. He was not known as a three-point shooter earlier in his career, and he's come on strong in that regard um, fairly recently. Um, at the EYBL, which is the elite, you know, the, the top high school showcase that's been going on over the past few weeks. Um, he averaged almost 18 points per game, uh, 6.9 rebounds per game, 3.9 assists per game, and 1.9 steals per game. Uh, and he was named to the first team all EYBL. Uh, look, th this, is, this is a guy who clearly is able to impact the game in a lot of different areas. And one of the really interesting, one of the fascinating things I think about Derek Whitehead is with most recruits, there's this question, is what they're doing in high school something that will translate to the next level? When they're playing against the best in, because that's what you get, you know, in high school, you're playing against guys who sometimes are not, not even in your ballpark. But when you get to college, you're playing against the best guys your age. When you're playing against the best, does your game translate? Well, with Derek Whitehead, that question doesn't exist. And here's why. When this guy was 13 years old, he moved from his hometown in New Jersey to Montverde Prep School in Florida. He has played four years at Montverde for, for Kevin Boyle, who is the, the legendary, I mean, like one of the best high school coaches in the country. And he always has elite players at Montverde. And what Derek Whitehead has been known for over the past four years that he's been playing there is playing defense against the stud guys that Kevin Boyle has brought in. And by stud guys, I'm talking Cade Cunningham, number one pick in the most recent NBA draft. Scotty Barnes, number four pick in the most recent NBA draft. Moses Moody, who was also a lottery pick this year. Those guys, when they were in high school and Derek Whitehead was just a sophomore, those guys were on his team and they all say he was the toughest matchup they faced all year defensively. He, th this, I, I can't even tell you how impressive it is that Derek Whitehead has been doing this since he was a freshman playing for Montverde. By the way, he battled this past year against Caleb Houston, who is the, the uh, number five player in the class who is coming on uh, to Michigan this year and is expected to be a future lottery pick for Michigan. He's done nothing but play against future lottery picks for the past several years, and it has turned him into an absolutely elite defender. He's going to be one of the best defenders in college basketball from day one. Look, there's a lot more I can say about this guy, but I'm incredibly excited to have him because of the pedigree of where he comes from and what he has already shown playing against the best. Sam, I want to turn it over to you, but I want to turn it over to you with this question. When John Shire was announced as the coach in waiting and the next coach at Duke, a lot of people were having questions. There were some within, not necessarily within the program, but some Duke fans and a lot of neutral college basketball fans or even Duke haters who were under this impression that recruiting would drop after coach K leaves. Does this give more confidence to those people that, Hey, John Char is going to be okay. That's actually exactly the, my big takeaway from this commitment is that, is that recruiting is fine and, and that it's going to continue 
you know, we, we can't really say that it's necessarily going to continue at exactly the same level. Like could Duke pull in classes like the Zion, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish class every year? No, but Duke wasn't pulling in classes like that every year under Coach K anyway. So can John Shire convince Derek Whitehead, who's who's currently number six in his class, and Kyle Filipowski, who is a four-star, about to become five-star, top 20-ish guy to commit? Yes, he can. And and when it came to, is this a good hire for Duke? At this point, all we can know is how John Shire is doing on the recruiting trail. We can't see him on the court. We haven't been able to see him sort of doing his thing with the media the way that that head coaches are expected to do. But so far, so good that he's pulling in. He's identified recruits that he wants and has pulled them in. Um, whether he he wants any of the rest of the the uncommitted top 10 guys, we is, you know, We'll, we'll kind of see how that develops, but he's getting the guys that he wants. And Duke is, is maintaining that level of, of excitement for it. I, I, I've noticed sort of over the last few years that as teams have been able to like publicly address recruiting in, in social media and, and et cetera, uh, as the NCAA has, has loosened the rules around that sort of thing, that Duke has just added that to its staple of, of uh, you know, hype videos and, and excitement and that, and that around Tariq Whitehead's commitment, they've made a whole new uh, committed video, and they got they got some recent alums who've been on campus to to record the the another one, another one um, for the video. So so Duke is is all in on this sort of thing, and and I'm not worried now that John Shire is going to have any uh, problem continuing the recruiting momentum that Coach K started for him. You know, you know, a really interesting thing about the way Shire's recruiting is that he's continuing a Coach K tradition of not making a lot of offers. Sam, you, you, you talked about, you know, oh, are there other guys in the top 10? I mean, Duke has offers out to a couple other guys in the top 10, top 15-ish kind of stuff. Um, but I believe I read, and I, I may get these numbers completely wrong, um, but in general, they are, they are correct. That Duke has made seven offers so far in the class of 2022. Um, and most of the other top schools, you know, the, the, the schools that Duke recruits against have made, you know, 15 or 20. Kansas apparently has made 50 different offers to guys like Kansas just throws out offers left and right. Kentucky's made like 15. North Carolina, I think I read, has made like 22 offers. And Duke has only made seven. And this is a tradition that Coach K had as well. An offer to come play for Duke is a big deal. We don't just toss them around willy nilly. You've got to be the right kind of player, both in terms of your personality and in terms of your skills. And so by, I, I love the fact that Shire is continuing this tradition of, of it being a big deal to, to be a, a recruit for Duke. It's not something that, that everyone can, can brag about and say. And I think that's important to maintaining the mystique that we, that we have. And one of the other offers that, Jason, you haven't addressed here that is also important in Derek Whitehead's story is that just a couple of days before he committed to Duke, he officially got an offer from the G League for $500,000. And so if if my sort of point A about this is John Shire is continuing the recruiting tradition that, that Coach K has set up for him. The second thing is that John Shire is now successfully competing with the G League offers and Derek Whitehead you know, being being sort of conscious of all of this, he retweeted stories about getting the the five hundred thousand dollar offer. Like he was very open about that. It wasn't you know he wasn't trying to hide from it, but he has addressed. I got this five hundred thousand dollar offer, and then the next day or two days later, I committed to Duke, which tells me that he sees this as being worth more than that. 
and and say what you will about the G League. If you go to the G League, you are getting the money up front and you are getting full time staffing to uh, to playing basketball, which he's not going to have at Duke, even if he really slacks off in class and and, you know, is not engaged at all, which I don't expect because we haven't really had that issue with a lot of players so far who've come through as, as one and done guys. But even if he does do that, he still has to spend a lot more time worrying about school and other commitments than he would in the G League, where he would be 100% focused on basketball. So this is a really powerful statement from one of the top guys in this class that, yeah, the G League offer is nice, but the Duke offer is worth more. And, and the Duke offer is worth more this year and is probably worth more in the long run to me and to my family. Yeah, yeah. but by the way, the Whitehead family is a little different than some of the other families out there because Dariq's older brother, uh, Tahir Whitehead, is a longtime NFL veteran. He, uh, Donald, you know this. He played. He played for the Detroit Lions for many years. Played for Oakland. He he, he played last year for Carolina. He's made more than twenty six million dollars playing in the NFL. <laughs> hey man, what, what whatever whatever wherever you're at on that spectrum, you know, I I don't know if he's sharing the money with his brother. Right. Uh, at a certain point, it's your money. It's not his. You got to so. you got to do you got to take care of yourself. But but hey, it, it's one. None of these are. No, no commitment from any player is is proof of anything. It, it it proves only what that one guy wanted to do. But this is a great step in the direction of like this is this is sort of setting the tone because then the next recruit whose living room John Shire has to visit, he can say, "Look, Derek Whitehead had a half a million dollar offer from the G League, and he chose us, and it and he didn't hesitate on it, and it was it was right at the end of his commitment season or his his like commitment timeline, and he just went with us, and that's it." And that's now the baseline that he can take to to the next recruit. So I think that that is great messaging for Duke. One one thing that Whitehead said, uh, and I'm going to quote from the ESPN article about it. He mentioned, quote, I was grateful for their offer to be a max player in the G League. I was truly blessed for the offer. They gave the offer the day before I was supposed to commit. And I didn't have much time to really think on it as much as I got to think about going to college. So that, in my mind, leads me to believe that he was already committed to go to Duke and that this last minute offer was not going to stray him away from that, which I think John Shire can also take that and say, Hey, look, you have people throwing last minute offers at his feet. He's still committed to us. He still made his, he still made his, his choice and we can compete with any other team. But Jason, I do want to go back to you about his skills. When I look at his skills, I see a, a man who can do a lot of things, but we have to talk about we're, we're, you know, we're the team that talks about not just the cake. We talk about the veggies and the autoplay ads. So what is it about Dariq Whitehead that you expect him to improve on at the college level? What's the one thing that you're like, okay, I want to see this kind of elevate a little bit before he gets to college. Look, we, we've talked about what a great defender this guy is. He's fabulous taking the ball toward the basket. He's got a great mid-range game. Uh, the, the thing he needs to work on is his outside shot. And, and if you look at the EYBL statistics, now granted, it is, you know, it's not like it's, 40, 50 games. It's, you know, a dozen or so games, but his EYBL statistics show you that this is a guy who needs to work on his shooting a little bit. He only hit 68% of his free throws at the EYBL. He only hit 31% of his threes, but there, there, there are pockets in there that show you that he's a, you know, can be a better shooter than that. Um, he, he just hit four of his first 19 threes at the EYBL, but then he had this five game stretch where he hit 11 out of 25, that's 44%. 
Um, and, and there are a couple games in there that were really important competitive games for his, he played on team Durant, Kevin Durant's, um, AAU team. There were a few important games in there where he just went off, um, you know, both scoring in the mid range game and hitting his three pointers. And it shows you that this is a guy that, uh, is capable of having big games from the perimeter. He's absolutely capable. We already know that he's capable of having big games inside the three point line. And as he works on that shot more and more, because I know he knows that that's the thing he needs to work on the most. He's just going to become more and more lethal. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, he may not be called on to be the three point specialist uh, of sorts, because we do have Jaden shut out there that has been offered from us. As you've talked about on previous podcasts, he is one of the best shooters in this class. The best. That's He's the best. The best. <laughs> and everyone, and, and, and also was one that's kind of under the radar. And now people are starting to see, oh, wow, this kid actually can shoot. And we are probably the front runners uh, in that, or at least one of the front runners in that uh, recruitment as well. And not to discount the other guys that Duke is likely bringing back next year, because we know that this this incoming class has has a couple of big stars in Paulo Bancaro and AJ Griffin. But some of the other uh, guards that are on this team are not likely to be leaving after one season. So Duke should have Duke should have a pretty good perimeter next year, uh, given just the commitments that they've gotten so far in in Whitehead. And then and then also the guys that should be returning. See, I told you we were going to be OK. John Shire is going to be OK. Everything is fine. Okay. Everything's, Everything's fine. fine. Love this team. This is great. I liked, by the way, one other thing about the about the the social media stuff that they were putting out. Did you guys like the uh, th- there was a there was a quick clip that they put out of Shire and the other assistant coaches laughing uh, <laughs> while they're sitting on the private jet? I liked. I liked the 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 additional flex of it being like, oh, we're flying to Peach Jam or whatever, and we're we're on the private jet. You know, not not everybody's flying on the private jet. Look, you know what that's called? It's called swag, and a lot of coaches don't have swag. But John Shire is showing. John hey, Shire does not have to drive his Nissan Altima to to Augusta right. from Durham. They talk about the <laughs> kicks. They talk about the private jets with the and he had the glasses going on. He had the Cartiers going. Man, man's man's got some swag and he's trying to show he's these fresh. recruits that hey and they're well dressed but every time i see every time shire and nolan smith and chris carowell those guys are dressed fine there is a i mean very quickly i know we we're in a tangent but they had that quick video like maybe two weeks ago about how john shire walked across the grass in the morning and they were like oh no no these kicks do not walk across grass and they literally walked like the long way around to, to make sure they stayed on concrete. So they're, they're like, yo, I got air force ones on these things are not going through grass. Have I told you guys now that we're on this tangent, I have to <laughs> tell the story in case, in case I haven't done it before. Cause it's great. Did I ever tell you guys about the time that I stood behind Steve Wojciechowski at Brugger's bagels? No, no, uh, please this, do. Was, this was, this was, I've ruined the punch. I've ruined the, I've ruined the punchline, but, uh, I li- so if you've been to Durham or you've been to Duke, there's a Brugger's Bagels on 9th Street um, where you can always run into to Durham luminaries. It's and- it, and by the way, it is it is right next door to a FedEx. Um, do you guys know yes. I own that FedEx? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, everything everything is converging here. So my my senior year, I lived on 9th Street and I went to that Brugger's Bagels all the time. And I one day I went in there and it was pouring rain. And so I'm, you know, dressed in whatever I, I'm okay going out in the rain in. And I'm standing behind a guy who's wearing like brand new Duke blue Kobe's. And I was like, what jerk 
is buying these like fancy basketball shoes and then wearing them in the pouring rain where they're obviously going to get ruined. And I couldn't tell that it was a, a notable Duke basketball player initially because Steve Wojciechowski is only like 5'10". So he doesn't really stand out when you're standing behind him in line. It's not like I was standing behind Grant Hill and it's like, oh, that guy's 6'8". I wonder if he's a basketball player. So, and then Wojo turns around and I was like, oh, it's, it's Steve Wojciechowski. Um, so he's, he doesn't care. He was just wearing his, he was wearing his, you know, $300 basketball shoes in the rain and like, it was no big deal. So I, I'd like to get to that point in my life. That's the, I think that's the moral of the story. Yes. <laughs> Steve Wojciechowski eats Brugger's bagels. He's human, just like everyone else also wears. Yeah. He also goes to Brugger's bagels. <laughs> he also goes to Brugger's bagels and, and eats and wears $300 shoes in the rain because he can buy another one. So uh, that is it for our little tangent and also on recruiting, but stick around this summer. It seems like this recruiting is going to come hot and fast and we will be right on top of all of it. Let's pause here for a quick break on the other side. We're going to conclude our NBA draft because we have another guy that has signed with an NBA team. Who is it? Where is he going? Stick around. All right, we are back and we are going to finally conclude our NBA draft coverage because the third member of the Duke Blue Devils who was eligible for the NBA draft has now found himself a team. Of course, I'm talking about Matthew Hurt, who agreed to a two-way deal with the Houston Rockets probably a few hours after Jason and Sam recorded episode 331. Uh, So they didn't get a chance to talk about that. Now, at this point, all three Blue Devils who entered the NBA draft have found a team. Of course, Jalen Johnson was drafted number 20 by the Atlanta Hawks. And we have DJ Stewart and Matthew Hurt, who have signed two-way deals with NBA teams. Let's discuss Matthew Hurt. Sam, I want to go to you first. Give me your thoughts on Matthew Hurt agreeing to a deal with the Rockets. Is this a good fit for him? And how will he try to get into this next level? Because, of course, he's going to probably spend most of the next year in the G League. Well, I was concerned initially when we recorded on Friday that he hadn't yet signed anywhere because typically NBA teams, you know, they, they have, let's say there are 60 players that, that they would theoretically draft in each in each spot. And and they're going to sort of tick through their list as they, as the draft goes along. And then they'll also have players beyond those 60 that they know they're going to call. Right. We remember that like Seth Curry got called right after the draft because it was, there were multiple teams that knew they were interested in him. They just weren't going to spend one of their draft picks on him. I was concerned Thursday night. And then Friday morning when we recorded that we hadn't heard a peep yet about what was going on for Matthew Hurt, because you would think that the guys who are just outside of the the kind of top 60 draft list are the ones who are going to get the phone calls. Now I'm a little bit placated because I see that the Rockets have put him on a two-way contract, which is different than just getting invited to participate in in summer league or in or in training camp. That is a is an actual commitment for keeping him around for a little while, which tells me that that Houston actually does see something in Matthew Hurt. Whether he uh, whether he follows through on that, Donald, to your point about how much time he's going to spend in the G League versus the NBA is really more up to him and, and how much he commits to to improving his athleticism, improving his defense, improving some of his playmaking to go along with his already elite shooting, shooting that should serve him well on an NBA court right now. It's all the other stuff that we've talked about 
where he is lacking that, that he's going to have to have to improve. And I, I did need to highlight um, that as I was as I was looking up some of the, the commentary about this signing, I see that NBA draft.net has uh, has given him the laziest uh, comparison that you could possibly make, which is that his player comp apparently is Kyle Singler. Uh, so if you want to be if you want to be lazy and racist about about player comps, uh, Matthew Hurt apparently and Kyle Singler are the same player, despite the fact that Kyle Singler was never an elite shooter at Duke and was more <laughs> of like an all around te- like they're not the same player at all. So, not at all. Yeah, I don't know where it a little bit. From, Kyle but, Singler was a warrior. Was a warrior on the inside. Yeah, they they, they know, were no like nothing Matthew alike. Hurt. That's just not his reputation. But, but they are both six nine and white, so they must be the same player, right? So one anyway, redhead. I am. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I am. Uh, I'm excited that, that Matthew Hurt ended up with the Rockets, and I, I think that Jason's going to tell you more about the the specifics around that around that program and why that's actually a good fit for him. Yeah, and and the first thing I'll say is that uh, the fact that we did not know in the immediate wake of the draft where Matthew Hurt would be going. You know, I don't know this for a fact, but I would interpret that to be that his agent was talking to multiple teams and trying to get the best offer he possibly could and probably get someone to guarantee him a two way deal, which is what it appears that he got from Houston. So that's a really good sign for Matthew Hurt. Now, the the question that Sam was sort of alluding to there is how does he fit in on the Rockets? Um, and, And that's an interesting one for me. You know, on the one hand. Houston's roster is a little bit of a dumpster fire. They were terrible and, and had really high draft picks as a result. Um, and, and they are a team that is clearly in a major, major rebuilding kind of mode. Um, there are not a lot of guys in the Houston roster that you go, okay, that's someone that, um, that I know we can count on to, to have as a, a central piece on a playoff team. Um, uh, they're guys that they hope will develop into that, but they're not guys who are there you know, right now other than maybe Christian Wood. So, so on the one hand, um, it's good that Matthew Hurt is going to a team that, that's going to be interested in developing some of his younger players. On the other hand, Houston had four first-round draft picks. There are four guys on their roster who they drafted in the first round of the NBA draft this year. And all those guys are going to be bigger priorities. The cl- franchise thinks more of them than it does of Matthew Hurt. And it's going to be tough, I think, for Hurt to get too much time because you know, with the, with the main team, with the Rockets themselves, um, because I think the teams mostly when it comes to playing youngsters, they're going to be focused on those guys that they drafted. Um, and they're not going to be as focused on Matthew Hurt. And by the way, among those guys that they drafted is another power forward, Usman Garuba, who, who they picked up in the first round. Um, and, you know, if they have power forward minutes to give to a, an undeveloped guy, Garuba is going to get them before Matthew Hurt does. But as you guys have pointed out, He's going to play, you know, he's going to be a featured player on their G League team. And I bet he'll get some time in the NBA. That's just the way these two-way contracts work. You know, I don't know that he's going to get more than 5, 10, maybe 15 games at the most, but he'll get some time to, to play with the with the big club and, and he'll earn that two-way money, which is, you know, typically close to a, a half a million dollars. Uh, you know, it, it's not it's not Kyle Singler kind of money. But it's uh, it's it's pretty good money for for a guy first year out of college, and I think it's a good situation that's a, for Matthew that, Hurt to end up. That's a good callback, Jason, to the yeah, to the thing I you. said earlier. There you go. I mean, the thing about Matthew Hurt is that just from the two way deal perspective, it limits actually the number of days he can be on the NBA roster without it being converted to a full salaried NBA spot. Uh, and with this, you see sometimes that that gets converted, but for him. 
he needs to focus on just doing what he needs to do to be able to excel at the next level. There's going to be opportunities for him. There's going to be injuries. Houston is not a team that has no injuries. They have a lot of guys who are out all the time due to injuries. They had John Wall, who was out for most of the season, uh, after they traded for him because he was injured. There's going to be chances for him to showcase his talents on the NBA level. There's also going to be, like you said, Jason, there's a lot of turnover on this team. They are, I mean, they have four draft picks in the first round. Not all of them are going to, they may be first round draft picks, but there's guys on this roster who are not going to be on this team next year. Maybe that is the way that Matthew Hurt clears out some space. But really, when he goes down to the G League, he just needs to focus on being Matthew Hurt and improving on those things that he needs to do so that he can be considered either uh, for a full-time slot with the Rockets or you have players who are on two-way deals with one team that end up getting signed by another team in the offseason because the that team says, hey, you're not going to fit over here, but we have a spot for you right over there. So that's what he needs to focus on, and there's plenty of opportunity for him to do that. It's just going to be him in the gym and, and grinding and working and making sure that he can get his – you know. All those intangibles that coaches in the NBA like and that scouts in the NBA like, he'll have the opportunity to work on them. So uh, best of luck to him. I know a lot of people are excited to see him uh, as part of the Houston Rockets. This is just another opportunity for another Duke player to get onto an NBA team, and I hope he takes advantage of it. And I think that will do it for episode number 332 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Listen, if you have questions about any of this recruiting stuff, because I know it's a lot, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. If you have questions about anything else that we've discussed, Matthew Hurt going to the Rockets, or you just want to comment on on shoes and, and the swag of our coaches, please send us emails. You know we love hearing from our listeners. Again, rate and review, share our podcast, subscribe, make sure that everyone knows about it. And that way, when I go on the road or when Sam goes on the road or when Jason goes on the road, people will go, you know those guys from that podcast that I listened to? You're awesome because you guys are awesome out there and we thank you for listening. So until next time for Jason and for Sam, I am Donald. I'm going to go play some bets in Vegas. This is the DVR podcast. And now it is Duke fans time to take us home.